say you're at home, chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool. Shooting some b-ball outside of the school when a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood? No, no, absolutely not. You don't ball. Jerk. Say you're relaxing at home, drinking some orange juice. Ah, yeah, that that does sound more like me. And actually, uh, you're not far off about those guys who are up to no good. As you're hanging out, your landlady knocks on your door, and when you answer, demands to know where your new adorable puppy is. Because mm. this landlady hates puppies, and she's here to take them away. What do you say? I'm gonna tell her my puppy's not there. My puppy uh, went out to buy a newspaper. Not fetch a paper? Went out to buy a newspaper? <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, my puppy is incredibly smart. You know, that'll uh, actually make this hypothetical make more sense now. So uh, let's roll with that. But how could you? Your name is Wholesome, and you would just tell a lie like that? Well, I mean, it, otherwise she's going to take the puppy away. And, and look, such a fluffy puppy. I'm not going to let her. No. No. Well, okay. I suppose you do need to take the fluffiness of the puppy into consideration. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, uh, your puppy, what was your puppy's name? Inferno. <laughs> Okay. Inferno was curious when you went to the door and was listening from around the corner. When he heard that the landlady was looking for him, Inferno went around back, hopped out a window, and made a run for it. You'd think you foiled the landlady. But as she walks away, she runs into Inferno. Oh no! That wasn't supposed to happen. Ah, but such is life. Just pain and suffering. No! No, it's not! Well, in this case, it is. Your landlady takes Inferno away, and the pound kills him. Wow. This hypothetical is pain and suffering. Why? It's because you lied. If you had told the landlady the truth that Inferno was inside, maybe Inferno could have snuck out the back just like he did, except he wouldn't have run into the landlady because she would be inside your place looking for him. It's your fault. My fault? Well, okay, this death is definitely the landlady's fault and the pound's fault as well, But your fault, too, if instead you hadn't lied and Inferno still died, then it would be just on the landlady and the pound. But the way the scenario played out, unfortunately, you had a hand to play in Inferno's untimely demise. What's the point of this dumb hypothetical? The point is morality. Don't be ever startled by a Plato knowledge, cause we got our game unlocked. Will Vinny, Vinny, Vici, Mustachioed Nietzsche And we'll never miss the marks Cause I'm awesome and he's heathen And this is our podcast show In our very first episode, we talked about moral philosophy. Yeah, how do we decide what is right and what is wrong? How we should live our lives and why we should stay away from shady surgeons and train tracks and especially shady surgeons near shady train tracks. Say that five times fast. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to give everyone a quick summation of what the two schools of thought were that we covered, the utilitarianism and deontology? I am honored you think I remember that, but let's let's give it a shot. Utilitarianism is the one that focuses on the bigger picture, right? Uh, It says whatever is best for the most people is the moral decision. And deontology talks about specific actions, meaning even if a decision helps a lot of people, it could be wrong. Like like hurting someone would be wrong because assault is bad, and the judgment ends there. It doesn't look at the consequences of the assault. Assault, bad. Uh, we've learned so much together. Hmm. And on the menu for today is Immanuel Kant. 
Kant was a Prussian philosopher who identified with those deontologists that you just talked about. He thought moral judgment was contained in specific actions. But philosophy is really wishy-washy, isn't it? A lot of people may dislike math, but in math, there's a definite answer. This is right. Everything else is wrong. If you're working on a jigsaw puzzle or a crossword, different people may start at different points, but there's only one correct end result. At the bottom of a bottle, there's an answer. Whoa, uh, you okay, man? Need to talk? Over a water, maybe? No, we're on a roll right now. Uh, okay, but any anytime you need me, man. In philosophy, there isn't a different answer, and our boy Kant took issue with that. He wanted to set objective rules to always determine morality, so he came up with the categorical imperative. Philosophers may be as insufferable as mathematicians, but philosophy isn't math. Can you do that? Well, in the words of Socrates, the only thing I know is that I know nothing. I have no answers, but let's see if Kant does. You're just the worst kind of person. If morality is true, and that's an if that I would love to revisit in a later episode. Oh, I know you have all sorts of things to say about that. Well, you didn't dub me the patron saint of heathens for nothing. <laughs> but say morality is true. Are there different moralities? If one group of people do a certain thing in a situation and another group do something different in that same situation, can both groups be doing the right thing? The moral thing? Or is morality constant and objective? Certain things are right, and if you're doing something else, that's not the right thing. We all have different backgrounds, upraisings, and values, which just might lead to different moral beliefs, yeah. But if everyone has different morals, then does morality exist as something outside ourselves, or is it just made up like laws? And what I mean by laws being made up is that they don't exist without us. I would never say if Wholesome wasn't around. That's just a terrible world no one wants to imagine. But if people as a whole weren't around, then trees would still be around, right? Some people may argue that there would be greater or fewer number of trees without people, but that's not the point here. Without people, there would still be trees. And trees don't have morals, those leches. People create laws. Uh... Plants and animals, not so much. Harsh against trees. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I'm getting at, is that trees exist without us. But laws are made up by us. For us and for our own benefit to enable a functioning society, but made up nonetheless. So is morality made up? Hmm. If everyone has their own moral code and moral judgment, then that may indicate that it is made up. That doesn't make it any less useful. Laws are made up, but we want most of those. So morals can be useful even if they're made up. Maybe that's something you've never considered, and I'm always happy to bring new thoughts to you. <laughs> but a lot of people would hesitate to say that morals are made up. And just to placate you young, innocent minds, for this episode, let's say morals are real. That just brings us back to the point that if something objectively exists, it has to exist as one thing, not different for everyone. Okay, I get it. That's where Kant is coming from. Uh, all or nothing kind of guy. So where do we get morality? And more importantly, how do we know what is moral? A lot of people in the Western world like to credit Christianity or the Judeo-Christian lineage for morality. I disagree, but what I think isn't important. Therefore, you aren't important. 
I like what you're trying, but I'm not sure that that's how that phrase works. <laughs> What's important is that if someone credits morality to Abrahamic religions, then a Christian's morals will differ from a Hindu's morals, will differ from an animist's morals, will differ from a non-believer's morals. And that's just not acceptable. At least it wasn't to the guy we're talking about today, Immanuel Kant. It's late he then. Oh, no, please don't. We're literally Kant evening right now. Oh. <laughs> You're done talking. Kant lived during the Enlightenment. And if there's one thing I can tell you about Enlightenment goobers is that they loved rationality. I mean, that's kind of the whole thing. And we mentioned earlier that Immanuel Kant wasn't a fan of the wishy-washiness of philosophy. Like many people, and perhaps like you as well, my dear listener, Kant didn't like the idea of living in a world with so many shades of gray and indecision and endless talk. 2 plus 3 equals 5, whether you're Muslim, Buddhist, Jain, or anything else. Similarly, Kant believed that morality was a constant. He's what we call a moral absolutist. And he believed that morality didn't have to come from religion. We could determine moral law through reason alone. Have you heard of the golden rule? Ah, yeah. Whichever kid finds the gold gets to visit Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. I think that may be the golden ticket. I'm talking about the golden rule. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, treat others to the chocolate you want them to treat you with. Almost, but less stupid. Treat others like you want them to treat you. That's the one. That, that's totally what I said the first time. So some form or another of this golden rule has popped up throughout human history. The ancient Egyptians, some... 4,000 years ago mentioned it. It's in the Mahabharata of ancient India. Confucius talked about it. All the Abrahamic fates have it. And Immanuel Kant had his own version of it. He calls his the categorical imperative. Oh, good. That's far easier to remember than something as simple as the golden rule. Oh, ease and simplicity were definitely not Kant's strong suits. The book where he talks about this is called Groundwork for the Metaphysics of Morals. Oh, this dude sucks at naming things. I'm not even sure I want to ask what that title means. Yeah, it's best not to. I've got my copy of it right here and thought about reading excerpts from it, but it's really dense. Of course you have a copy of it, you dweeb. I was actually thinking about sending you a copy. As much as I appreciate the gesture, buddy, my birthday just passed, so you can save it until next year. You know what, better yet, why don't you just, why don't you just tell me about it? I don't mind if you give away the ending. Your loss. But getting back to it, Kant talked about the categorical imperative. This was his way to firmly decide whether an action is moral. Mm, no wishy-washy morals. Right. The biggest part of this was universality. He said that it's only okay to do something if you think it's okay for all people to always do that same thing. I want to draw a small distinction here. He's talking specifically about moral actions. Most things we do every day aren't moral decisions. Hey now, I'm a moral and upstanding person. I don't mean that what we do is immoral either. More like it's amoral. It doesn't have anything to do with morality in the first place. Whether I wake up at 7 or I wake up at 8, there's nothing moral or immoral about that. Dude, it's the weekend. There may be nothing immoral about that, but it's deeply unsettling if you wake up that early on the weekend. Oh, don't worry. Half the stuff I say just isn't true. Is that previous statement in the true half or the untrue half? This is how we're going to end up in a philosophical paradox, so uh, let's not continue down this hole. 
<laughs> so Kant's universality rule is only for moral decisions. You're going to have to say that rule again. Okay. He says it's only moral to do something if you think it's okay for everyone to do that same thing always. Let's walk through an example. Stealing, good or bad? I'm going to go with the bad, Regis. Final answer. But why? You shouldn't take someone else's stuff. But why? Because then they'll be sad. Oh, um, that's, that's not bad philosophy right there. You should write your own treatise. Oh, I got this. I'll call it the groundwork for not doing bad things. Chapter one, don't do bad things. That would make me sad. Coming soon to bookstores near you, folks. It's a work in progress, Barnes & Nobles. Call me. Uh, aren't we all works in progress? But let's get back to Kant. Why would Kant say stealing is bad? Well, why? Kant would ask, using his universality principle, should all people steal always? Is that a world you want to live in? That sounds like a very confusing world if everyone is stealing things always. So, no, that's not a world I want to live in. All right, we're done. Pack it in. <laughs> if you don't think your actions should be universally repeated, then it is immoral to steal, and therefore you should never do it. Because if I'm okay with me stealing something, I should be okay with everyone stealing always? Universally? And since you said you're not okay with that, you shouldn't do it yourself. That makes sense. If I'm not cool with someone else doing something, I shouldn't expect them to be cool with me doing that thing, and Kant just extends this to everyone. In a way, he's just forcing us to take a step back from our own perspective with this rule. I can say I need something or want something, so I'm going to take it and just make up a justification for myself. But the categorical imperative's universality makes you take a perspective different from your own and uses that perspective to make decisions. Oh, that's not bad. It could be difficult to see beyond just our own perspectives. I applaud him for making us think a little differently. But what about the classic dilemma of if it's okay to steal bread to feed starving kids? Is it okay to steal then? See, that's tough. Remember, Kant was a deontologist. He's in the school of thought that moral value comes from an action, not the consequences of the action. A utilitarian may see it differently, but if you want to hear the pros and cons of utilitarianism versus deontology, check out our very first episode, if you haven't already. I guess in this case, it's not a good world to live in if everyone is always stealing bread. But I think I can kind of relate this to um, some comic books I love, because that's, that's what I've got to do, Heathen. In the Marvel comic storyline, Spider-Man, Iron Man, Captain America, all that jazz, you love all those guys, there was a pretty major event that happened called Civil War. It was a big rift within the superheroes themselves. I see some Kantian ethics in that. Please tell us. Superheroes and explosions are surely more interesting than me droning on and on. Man, I, I do talk a lot. I mean, we, we did start a podcast, so... I guess we're professional talkers now? I haven't gotten paid. Are you getting paid? You're right. Amateurs, then. You're an amateur. <laughs> you can't use that as an insult if I'm calling myself it. Please, Heathen, let's stay focused on the important stuff. Stop going off track. They adopted Marvel's Civil War into a big movie in 2016, Captain America's Civil War. I, I disagree with it being called a Captain America movie. It's really about all of the Avengers, but like I said, I see some Kantian stuff in that. You're going to have to give us a non-nerd background on what the Civil War is. I don't know if you can call yourself a non-nerd since you're the philosopher here. Hey, we're all philosophers. 
All right, fine. But to give some backstory, superheroes have all these amazing abilities, either naturally like Thor, through technology like Iron Man, or through something that happened to them scientifically, like Captain America or Spider-Man. One day, there's a big accident caused by some young wannabe heroes, and a lot of people die. So it gets the country to start thinking about superheroes and how they're technically just random citizens running around doing all sorts of vigilante things. Vigilante? Vigilante. Vigilante things. I mean, they do a ton of good, but there's no oversight. And they are literally weapons capable of mass destruction. So the American public and the government start talking about whether there should be some sort of regulation on them. Um, I can see where you're coming from or where they're coming from. After an event where tons of people die, that might get you thinking about things. Oh, absolutely. And you got Iron Man over here, and he says, hey... We should be accountable to the people. And you got Captain America over there, and he's like, yo, we need autonomy to act, not with all these government dudes getting it all up in our grill. This is a brilliant dilemma we can get more into another time, but I want to focus on Captain America's decision here. He wants to be able to keep doing what he's doing, which is, of course, great things for the world. But there's no check on him, and he doesn't want there to be one. If we just look at Captain America is a good guy, that's easy. But if we look at it as someone is acting for other people's benefit without letting the benefited people have a say, then it kind of sounds less good. Captain America doesn't want other people going around doing things without permission, so for him to do things without permission goes against Kant's morality. That is a perfect example. Captain America isn't following that universality principle. Not so perfect after all. Tell that to his cheekbones. But, okay, (laughs) Kant says, do unto others as yourself, with no exceptions. Fair enough. Is there more to it, though, than just being the golden rule, extreme edition? There is a second part to his categorical imperative, and that is that all humans should be treated as an end instead of merely a means to an end. So uh, what he's saying is each person is an independent moral actor, and you can't use people for your own benefit. So you can't use others as a means to an end. Everyone is their own end. Oh, for sure. Don't manipulate people for your own selfish reasons. That's very wholesome. I'm definitely on board. But can I benefit from other people at all? For sure. He's not saying take it all away. Uh, Think of it this way. I'm using this mug next to me to hold my water and nothing else. You sure it's just water? Um, don't worry about it. (laughs) But I'm only using the mug purely for that purpose. Whereas when you use another person for something, you're not merely using them. You still treat them as a human, or at least you should, unless it's a scam caller. (laughs) Then all bets are off. But this means that the utilitarian idea of caring about a bigger picture is out. You can't think about that. All you can do is act morally on your own. What others do, whether they choose to also be moral or make immoral decisions, that's on them, not on you. It doesn't matter that a kid asks for your ice cream and you give it to him and he tosses it. You did the right thing. Doesn't matter if the kid's a jerk. I'm suddenly a little less on board. With something like that mean kid example, the bigger picture seems to matter to me. That's the thing. And that's why morality and philosophy in general is worth talking about. We think we intuitively know some things, but when we try to break it down, when we try to explain it in detail, we realize that things aren't quite as easy as we first thought. It sounds good that everyone is their own person with agency and that you shouldn't manipulate them, but that means that you can't lie to anyone 
ever for any reason. Oh, this goes back to my little puppy Inferno, huh? I see now. We may think we're doing something good by lying sometimes. Big lies aren't good, we know that, but small white lies, maybe to spare someone's feelings, or lying to someone who wants to take our puppy away, maybe to protect our puppy. But even those lies are immoral. You can refuse to answer your landlady's questions or try talking her into seeing your point of view, but you can't lie to her. According to the categorical imperative, if you don't lie and Inferno gets taken away, that's not on you. That's on your landlady as an independent moral actor. Definitely an immoral actor. Either way, that's not on you. But, but that doesn't feel right. If I'm lying to protect someone, that sounds like a morally acceptable reason to lie. Remember, this all falls under the bigger umbrella of deontology. Utilitarians are concerned with a bigger outcome, not necessarily one action. So if you're thinking it's okay to lie for a bigger purpose, that brings us right back to utilitarianism. And then, taking that further, maybe it's okay to sacrifice one person to save five. But we were pretty squeamish about that in episode one. Oh, where does that leave us? At the end of our episode. What? We haven't resolved anything. We can't end here. We may not have resolved anything, but we had fun thinking about it, didn't we? We may get a hate mail for hypothetically killing a puppy. Haven't you been listening? We didn't do anything. The landlady did. That's not on us. And how can we know anything anyway? Am I right? Epistemology was last episode. Don't open that box again. But we can know if our listeners had fun through their feedback. Listener, if you enjoyed this episode or learned something. Or thought about something differently. Or just plainly listened to it with neutral attitude of neither joy nor disdain. Please do let us know. We're just two friends who don't know what we're doing. So we'd love any feedback. You can email us at contact at wholesomeandheathen.com or send us a message through our website, wholesomeandheathen.com. Yeah, Ethan is a lonely guy, and getting mail would really cheer him up. Hey, everyone loves mail, especially fan mail. Well, that was a fun foray into ethics. But, I mean, do, do these choices matter anyway? I've got a destiny. Ooh, so you don't have free will? Oh, well, I mean, that sounds nice, too. Oh, that's the next episode, isn't it? Now it is. Listeners, please join us in the new year for our musings on free will versus destiny, or as us philosophy folk call it, fatalism. See you then! Wholesome and Heathen do not endorse the murder of puppies. I say again, Wholesome and Heathen do not endorse the murder of puppies. I'm going to say it a third time. Wholesome and Heathen do not endorse the murder of puppies. That's our disclaimer for today. Thank you.